Well, good morning. It's like five of you. Good morning. Come on, let's give the Lord another big shout. Come on. Man, listen, um, good morning, our online family. Love having you, being able to come to you on demand. Uh, whenever you might be watching, we count it a privilege to be able to use technology to minister to you. Would you give our online audience a big hand right now? Come on. Listen, a couple of things I want to get to real quick, a couple of announcements that need to be uh, a verbal uh, person on stage to give them. You should have got a card like this when you came in. Um, it says the gift, it says the joy of Christmas on it. Um, one of the things that, that you and I realize in the world that we live in, there's always going to be people that are less fortunate than you and I. Um, just so you know, there's always somebody poorer than you are, somebody going through worse situations than you are. And one of the things that I think is just untenable, I just can't think about a child having Christmas and not having a toy to open up. And so we're going to do our part to make sure that here in Gresham and the surrounding areas that uh, there is a, a place that they can come and shop with dignity for free to bring kids uh, their toys. The kids will come, the families will come. They'll get to shop. They'll get to come around and give toys. And one of the things that's super easy for you and I is if you look on the back of this card, all you got to do is go to Amazon. Everybody knows Amazon, amen? Look at y'all. <laughs> so then we can go to Amazon, order the gifts, order the, um, order the prizes for the kids, and they'll have Christmas. I want to make sure that we do that. And then some of you say, you know what, man, I, I really don't have it in my budget. We, we did the Rwanda thing, and that took what space that we had. And so here's what you can do. You can come. You can serve. You can come set up. You can come smile. You can come hug. You can still be a part of it. You don't necessarily need money. But if you have the wealth to be able to do it, do it. And if you don't, come. And even if you have the wealth and you want to come, come and love people. Because one of the things that I know is that very few people turn down a hug and a smile. Come on, y'all. And so for those of you that are planning your finances as well, I know I've talked to a couple of business owners and people that are planning their wealth at the end of the year, trying to get different um, donations and different things done. We do an annual uh, uh, offering on Christmas Eve. Say Christmas Eve. Christmas. It's going to be cool to have Christmas Eve candle lighting service in this place this year. Come on, give the Lord a big hand clap. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Pack it out. Bring the family. But one of the things that, that is special about that day for us as a church is we always give an offering above and beyond. And I love watching kids come and dump their piggy banks and different things in. And we, we're going to make sure that we continue to use that money. It's called the, it's called the gift of hope. Because how I many you know that when we are giving, we're actually extending and being a blessing, we're actually extending hope to people in different countries in these offerings and locally and abroad that, that don't have hope. And so for us, locally, that money is still going to go uh, to my father's house. We've got another organization here locally that we're going to be giving to. But internationally, we're going to be making sure we still come alongside of Pastor Isaac in Nigeria. But we're expanding that to Rwanda and expanding that to uh, Haiti as well. And so if you go online, you'll be able to see the places where the money will be sent. 100% of that offering goes out of these doors to support those ministries. And I love that East Hill is always ready to be a blessing. Come on, give the Lord a big hand clap this morning. It's good. So make sure you mark your calendars for those. Get on the website. Pay attention to the emails. Don't get an email from East Hill and delete it. Read it. Hello, somebody. Um, and so I want to get into our series this morning. How many recognize it's Christmas time? I, I got a question. There, there's a bit of a debate in my house 
and between me and Coco, so you can settle us uh, an argument of intense fellowship. Let's just call it, it's not an argument, it's intense fellowship. Is it too early to put up your Christmas tree and decorate it? It's too early. <laughs> well, you don't live with Coco. It's not too early, apparently. She's already letting <laughs> Nicole stop. She's already pulling out stuff. And I mean, it's just, okay. So I love, I'm not a, I'm not a bah humbug, Grinch kind of person. I love this time of year. I love hot cocoa. I love lattes. I love gingerbread. Come on, y'all. I love everything that this, I, listen, I even love the parking lot wars that go on when you go shopping. You know what the parking lot wars are, right? It's obvious that I have the spot, my blinker is on, I'm sitting here, and you're going to go zoom right in. No, you're not. No, you're not. It's the parking lot wars, and I love every bit of it. In fact, I, as I was thinking about this, Keith, that there's only one thing I don't like about this holiday. It is the endless hours of watching the Hallmark Channel that Coco puts me through. And the only people that are clapping are women. I'm forming a small group this holiday season for all husbands who are rejecting the Hallmark Channel. Meet at my house, meet at my house, we'll be outside because people inside will be watching the Hallmark Channel. So good to be back with you, good to be here. So my good friend, Jason Abello, started a series of messages for me last Sunday that I wanna get into today. Now, how many of you noticed also that while you're watching TV, that now there's this endless line of brands that come to you that they are offering you and saying, if you get this thing, then somehow you'll be happy, more fulfilled. You gotta drive this, you gotta wear that, and Black Friday's coming, and we're all like this, taking the bait, and if we're not careful, we'll get swept away in the cultural climates of our day. Now, let me say this to you. How many of you, I'm gonna give you a spoiler alert on the series. There is nothing else, no one else, that gives you peace, joy, satisfaction, significance other than Jesus. So whatever the world is promising you, you can get more of this if you get more of that, if you get more relationships, if you get more money, if you get another degree, if you get a bigger house, if you get a car, if you get more guns. Well, maybe. Uh, no. If, if, whatever it is, more, fill in the blank, whatever yours is, if you get more of that, then somehow you will be content, you will be satisfied. And how many of you have already found that when you get it, you got to have another one? You got to get another I, 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 I don't know if you have one of these. It's an iPhone. If you don't have one of these, it's because you have an inferior phone and go get an iPhone so you'll have a superior device. I'm not getting paid for this. I'm just telling you the truth. Don't let me stop. The, the truth of the matter is, is that Coco is a far, far, far more content person than I am. And in fact, in our entire life, in our journey, it's always been her reminding me that that new iPhone, I've had this since 2017. It seems like a decade ago. Come on, y'all. I don't know how many upgrades it is. I don't know how many phones there is. But every time I want to upgrade this phone, Coco asks me one simple question. What's wrong with your phone? And then I'm stuck with like, I... the other one has a better camera. What's wrong with your camera? 
The other one has more memory. Have you used all the memory in this one? Why do you need a new phone? Some of you are like, yeah, I don't understand. I still have a flip phone. I know, spiritual people. Because there's something in me, there's some desire, there's some narrative going on inside of me that if I got this, then somehow, some way, it would produce something. And how many of you know this? Here's the truth of the matter. How many of you ever been shopping? Just raise your hand. Come on. Uh, everybody. Have you ever noticed that when you go shopping and you get something, there's a little charge you get. And you're just bouncing around the store with your bags and feeling really good. And then you get home, or maybe a month later you get your credit card statement, and you're like, ooh. The thrill doesn't last very long, does it? Thrill doesn't last long. You get a new whatever it is, wherever it is, and then all of a sudden, guess what you got to do? You got to go get another one. And you got to go get another one and another one and another one. And more and more and more. And we believe, some of us have believed a lie, that he that dies with the most toys, what? He doesn't win. He just dies. You know why? Because you're going to leave all of the toys, everything. Everything's being left here. So then let's try to use this series called More to help us along a pathway. And you'll see before I get to the, to the end of this message. Uh-oh. Ooh. Are the lights out on me too? No. I got a couple lights. So I step back. I don't know what just happened. But they will fix it out. They will fix it. Just act like we're in a movie theater like in the old day. So then let's look at Colossians chapter 3. If you got your cell phone, you can get the QR code. The notes are there. But the scriptures will be on the screen as well, okay? So then Colossians chapter 3, I think Paul was rightly trying to orient the believers at Colossae that, that, that there was something above this world that we're to anchor our hopes, our affections, our ambitions, our eyes on that aren't in this world. Listen to this. Colossians chapter 1 says this. Oh, chapter 3, sorry. Since you became alive again, so to speak, when Christ arose from the dead, now, watch what he says, now set your sights on the rich treasures of, and joys of heaven where he sits beside God and in the place of honor and power. Verse 2, let heaven fill your thoughts. Don't spend your time worrying about the things down here. That ought to liberate somebody right now. Okay? Your real life, say real life. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry, go back to verse 3. You should have as little desire for this world as a dead person does. That's, that's deep right there. Your real life is in heaven with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is our real life, comes back again, you will shine with him and share in all his glories. Away then with the sinful earthly things. Now watch what it says. Deaden the evil desires lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual sin, impurity, lust, and shameful desires. Don't worship the good things of this life, for that is idolatry. Let there be light. So let's unpack this a little bit. And let me, let me preface this by saying there is nothing wrong with you wanting a nice life and a nice home for your children. It's not anything. I need to stay back here in the dark. Thank you, brother. Hi, I'm back. For those of you online, I didn't disappear. I'm right here. 
You can hear my mouth, I'm here. Um, and so there's this idea that, that if we could somehow get a thing, have a thing, that, that, that it will satisfy, that it will produce significance and meaning in our life. And how many of you know that's just not true? And so, is it dark on me? Now what's going on? Where, is, is this like, okay, I'm back now. Am I back? Where do I need to be? Somebody direct me from back there. Right here, I'm good, okay. So let's go back. Pretty soon I'll be standing in the back. You know this is going to be difficult because I'm a, I'm a kind of roaming pastor. So now I'm anchored right here to this light now. Okay, so um, back to the sermon at hand. <laughs> so, so what Paul is saying to those believers is, and you got to remember, they're pagan culture. And so part of what they did was false worship to idols. And so you and I have seen idols. In fact, idols still exist today. There are people that have created imageries and different statues and different things in foreign countries and different places. And you and I don't have any erected externally. There aren't any externally in your home or shrine or thing that you bow down to. But the reality is, is there's many idols of the heart. There are many desires that are competing against Christ's lordship in our lives. And I want to talk about that for a moment of time. But before I do, I want to get to the definition that I've sort of collected. I've taken a few sources and pieced together a full definition of the word idolatry. Say idolatry. False worship. So here it goes. Anything or anyone more important to you than God. That could be your children. Oh, Jesus, here we go. Anything that anyone or anything anyone that absorbs your heart's affection, imagination, thoughts, time more than God. Anything or anyone you see seem to give to you seek to give you only what God can give you. Anything that competes for your affections over God. It is not so much that things are sinful. How many know things in and of themselves are not sinful? We are sinful and our heart's pursuit of those things over our pursuit of God, that's when it becomes sinful. God doesn't mind you having things. He just minds things having your heart. Are you hearing me? And that's why some of us aren't climbing out to the next level that we would like to climb to because oftentimes what God would give you and I would steal our affections, our devotion, our commitment, our communion away from him. And it's amazing to me how many things the world offers you somehow to give you significance and worth and value. How many of you understand that your value and worth does not come from what you earn, what you drive, what you wear, what you live in, any of those things. Your significance and value comes in being a child of God alone. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap right now. You were born, hear me, you were born with worth and value. It is the devil that has taught you and deceived you into thinking you don't have it. You go looking for it in relationships and you'd be amazing. How many married people do I have here right now? Isn't it funny how many of us thought that once I get married, then that's it. That's the good thing. And then you got married and you said, oh, shoot, this is not it. This is work. I didn't know it was work. And all the single people are thinking, all your struggles go away when you get married. Oh, no, they don't. In fact, you get a whole new set of struggles. And so now I need a person, I need a car, I need this or that. And the next thing, and if you come from an impoverished background 
where you come from a marginalized family or people that were impoverished and lack insufficiency was an issue in your life. Then all of a sudden you think, if I could just get what everybody else has, then I'll be significant. Then I'll have worth and value. Husbands, hear me when I tell you, you are not a paycheck to your family. Your value is in your presence, your being, whether you collect the check or not. In fact, I don't ever remember my children asking me how much I made while I was laying on the floor playing with them. I don't ever remember them asking me what we drove and why don't we drive something else other than the car that, that we had one time where you used to have to get out and go on the passenger side to get in the driver's side and you used to have to put power. Anyway, you understand the point. Keisha was the one, actually, she said, Dad, I think we need a better car. I think she was like five. I'm like, yeah, no joke. That's discernment, girl. Come on, y'all. <laughs> but the simple truth of the matter is, is you're not your paycheck. You're not what you make. You're not what you wear. And I learned this lesson, honestly, pastoring a church in Eugene, Oregon when I first got here. Because I started, we started having some people after, after the athletes who had no money and, and no place to live and all of that kind of stuff. After they left, we started getting some people in the church that were more established in the community. And some of them were timber people with millions of dollars in our church. And I remember, like, one of the guys, I was like, man, he does not look like a millionaire. And, and, and he, I even actually said it to him. I said, you don't look like a millionaire. And he said, what does a millionaire look like? You know what he was teaching me? I don't wear my money, I don't drive my money, I won't let anybody help me out here, quickly. Go ahead, take them out. There you go, take them to the back and pray for them. This is no, hey my man, this is the wrong time to do that. So go ahead, take them out. There you go, Chris, thanks, bro. How many of you know, we want people here, amen? Give the Lord a big hand clap. Come on, that's all right. This is gonna be, you should have known this is gonna be one of those services when the lights went out, come on, y'all. So we're gonna be all right. So this idea of, if, and for me, where I grew up, people who had money had cars and they looked a certain way, but really they had no wealth at all. They had no wealth at all. They had none. And in fact, what it was was evidence of their poverty even more. So their status came from what they drove. And so Paul says to us, he wants us to reorient our minds and our hearts. He says, oh, there we go. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Some of you, you, you don't realize that. <laughs> anyway, thanks. Usually we don't recognize the sound people, all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes until something goes wrong. So let's give them a big applause because they're frantic. Yeah. Okay. So Paul in the Colossians chapter 3 is reorienting our lives, our priorities, and helping us to reevaluate our lives in the sense of what really matters, what treasures really are worth having. Anybody ever been out of the country, and, and I know I might be the only one, but I like watches. And um, anybody ever been out of the country and got a Rolex from Mexico or somewhere? Anybody? <laughs> So, so normally we go on these vacations, Coco and I, and I see these guys and they come with a watch, with an arm full of watches, or they come and, hey, they always say stuff like, hey, soul brother. I'm like, I'm not your soul brother. But anyway, anyway, here, here, here's the watches. And they would offer the watches. I was like, I want one of those. But then I would get two or three of them. You know why? Because they're going to turn silver in a week. It's a gold watch, but it's going to be silver after the first time I watch it. So I would get two or three of them. I'm, I'm just telling on myself. I would. And I'm like, look, I got to. I got a Rolex. Not really. Don't, don't look at it because it don't tell time, you know? <laughs> and, and isn't it amazing? It's, we would call it fool's gold. You know why it's fool's gold? Because it's not real gold. It's fake. It doesn't last. 
It's the same thing we, that the devil is offering you and I right now, anything earthly that we could have. It's fool's gold. It won't last. It'll burn up. You'll leave it behind. If you died today, your bills would be left for, for somebody else. It, it's over. Set your policy. Orient yourself toward heaven and eternal things. Robbers don't rob there. Thieves don't steal there. Nothing gets old there. Nothing tarnishes there. God lives there. His presence is there. That's what we want to pursue. We don't want our life's pursuit, ambition, goals, affections, drive toward having things in this world. We want everything to be oriented heavenly. Yes? This is what Paul is saying to this pagan couple, this, this pagan church, coupled with the fact that we are now reading it thousands of years later, but yet in the same position. Be surprised how many of us are sitting here right now and our hearts are divided and we're trying to figure out how to arrest our affections. That's why he says in verse 5, deaden the evil desires lurking within you. All of us have unsurrendered, dislocated emotions and desires inside of us. So that just, I won't even ask you to raise your hand, just nod your head. Yes. We all do. And so they lead us astray. They lead us off path. They lead us away from God. They lead us away from the will of God. And God is like telling Paul, hey, write this down for all of the ages and all of the churches to orient themselves heavenly and upward. If you'd have been here on Friday night, you would have seen this place look, go on my Facebook page. That's all I'll tell you. There was a war going on in here on Friday night. Nerf wars, yes. And apparently there's a bunch of adults that felt left out of that, that we're going to have to figure out, Andrew, how to get the adults involved in Nerf wars now. Which, by the way, give our entire youth department a big hand right now. Come on. Those guys are amazing. Your pastor may have slipped in here and shot a few people. I did. I got an automatic one. It was pretty good. They had a sentry in a hallway named Roger Hayworth. Anybody know Roger? Roger caught two in the side of the head before he could even blink. Ba 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 ba. Lit him up, and then I lit Andrew up from from behind. Just shot him all up. It's fun, y'all. But you know what I see in this church more and more all over the place. Not just Friday night. People that have oriented their lives around eternal things. And this house doesn't work without people that say, no, the kingdom comes first. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to budget some time in my life to make sure that I give my life to things that, are, that have eternal value. I, I don't know what you do with your life. I don't know what you do with your time. I don't know how you spend it. But I can tell you that there's a group of people that value this house for generations indeed that have said this house matters because eternal things happen. Lives change. Lives get transformed. We got people retired that won't stay home. They come here to work. I can't get them out on vacation. I can't make them retire. They won't go to Arizona and play golf. They they want to be involved in eternal things. How much of your life is spent worrying about things down here? Colossians 2, uh, 3, 2. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Don't spend your time worrying about things down here. Here, bills, people, politics, garbage, human waste. Here, here, here. Rather than hopeful things that orient you toward heaven. How many know that we have a hope beyond America? How many know we have a hope beyond a, beyond a good vacation? That we have a hope beyond money? Good grief. I remember living in Okinawa, Japan. Pop, we were living there, and I was on an unaccompanied tour, and I brought Coco with me because she was pregnant with Keisha. And our rent would go up or down against the yen every month. So one month we got good food to eat. The next month we were eating rice and beans. 
This is me in the Marine Corps. And I learned a very valuable lesson there because Cocoa and I lived in maybe 500 square feet of a house. Maybe 500 square feet. And I was just struggling because it was in the middle of the Okinawa summer and it is way humid and my wife was way pregnant. How many hear what I'm saying? So all I wanted was air conditioning. And I kept thinking, if we could just get air conditioned. It was like the Jeffersons, we were moving on up. You know what I'm saying? Some of y'all generationally don't know what I'm talking about, but just YouTube it, it's still there. And I kept thinking, if we could get air conditioned, then that would be great. And you know what the problem was with that? Is I was the one struggling, but I wasn't incubating the human being. My wife was just happy. You know what she was happy with? All she wanted was to have her feet rubbed at the end of the day. It didn't cost anything. In fact, my wife drives me nuts because there's literally nothing you can buy her. You can't purchase anything, offer her anything of value that you could get with money. You got to spend time with her. You got to rub her feet. You got to rub her back. In fact, I'm leaving right now. See y'all later. <laughs> she's, she's just very, a very content and simple person. She does not need a lot. She doesn't value herself by worth. In fact, I bought her an expensive purse. Jocelyn, you'll remember this. I bought her an expensive purse, and she set the thing aside and said, okay, are we going to go out to dinner, though? She just wanted to spend time with me. I was heated. Scott, you need to hear me. It was an expensive purse. Every woman wants an expensive purse. No, look at them. They're shaking their head. Mm -mm. You know why? Because they understand. Because once they get the purse, they're going to need another one and another one. And there's something of greater value. And my wife, along with the Holy Spirit, has taught me the value of things that money cannot buy. Are you hearing me? Touch your name and say, that's a good word. Paul says, don't, don't worship the thing, the good things of this life. And there's something about the evil desires inside of me. There's something about unsubmitted, unsurrendered ambitions and things that I have inside of me that makes me lean into those things and lean away from contentment in Christ. And am I the only one? Wave at me if you understand what I'm saying. Just wave at me. Because mm -hmm. y'all make me up here like I'm preaching to myself this morning. Right? So, so then, then we've got to ask the Lord to help us because what is happening is literally, because remember we talked about idolatry, anything or anyone that is stealing our affections away, our time, our energy, our drive, our ambition, then what we've done, our hearts have an endless capacity of deifying things for us. Things become our savior, whether you realize it or not. Because if your mood changes, we're up and down all over the place based on your net worth, based on what you drive, what you live, then that ultimately is your savior. Because what you're basically saying is, if I have this, then I have peace, then I have significance, then I have worth. It's a belief system. It's a God. It's an idol of the heart. And you and I are called to get our security, significance, value, and worth from being a son and a daughter of God alone. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap right now. So then, what lies have we believed that will give us significance or worth or security or fulfillment or happiness? What are the lies? What are the narratives underneath of that in your own life. You're going to have to unpack that before the presence of the Lord. What is that? Because here in America, we're taught that personal achievement and personal financial security is the end all to end all. That's, that's what we're taught as a culture. 
You need to keep getting the next degree and the next thing and the next thing. You know, it's funny. I went and got my master's degree with this faulty thinking. And I was there. My wife was there. My family was there. And they, you know, they did the whole thing. And I, I, the next morning I woke up and, and the Lord woke me up literally early, like 5 o'clock. I get up early anyway, but this was like a 5 a.m. Holy Spirit wake up. He says, you're the same son that I loved before you got the degree. You're the same son that I love every day of your life. And this has not changed my mind to love you more or less. And I wept in the presence of the Lord right over my coffee that morning because I had still been believing that if I, because once I get the degree, then I will be whatever. And we all have it. Just fill in the blank. Whatever it is, we all have it. We all do it. We all wrestle with it. So, so then we, when we get to Philippians chapter 4, and Paul says, I've learned the secret of contentment. He said, I learned, let me, let me read it to you real quick. This, this, is, this is so impactful for me because I had to eat this before I served it to you, just so you know. Now, now watch this. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11, for I have learned, say learned, learned. say learning. learning. Yeah, I have, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Verse 12, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty one, with plenty or little. 4 verse 13. Now, we pull it out of context all the time, and we don't really look at the context that Paul is writing this in. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me the strength. Now, this is a baffling. These letters that Paul writes, these are, are called the prison epistles because he is writing them from prison. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, if you read the book, the, the prison epistles, if you read through Philippians, but Paul is encouraging the church from prison. Uh, note to self, if PK ends up in prison, I expect you to write me notes about hope and encouragement, yeah? But, but, but Paul said, wait a minute, I learned the secret. Say secret. No, no, shh. It's a secret. Say it again. Say secret. Chat, put it in the chat, say secrets. Paul said, I learned the secret. In other words, there's a couple things there, learned. Past tense for him, but process for us, journey. Wherever you are, don't hear this message and get upset and be like, oh my God, I wanted to get those Jordans for Christmas. I'm not, look, well, that's between you and Jesus, not my sermon. Do you hear me? Whatever gun you wanted, whatever you would do, I ain't got nothing to do with that. This is you and the Holy Spirit. Don't shoot the messenger, just obey the Spirit. Amen. The secret, the journey of contentment. All of us are going to be on this journey. You got you to gotta walk it out. So all of us have, have disordered affections and, and dislocated ambitions and different things that we're going to need to read. That's what the Holy Spirit is working on through this series of messages. To first illuminate it to you. It's like, oh my God, I spend so much time thinking about money and our bills. and What are we going to buy and what are we going to do and all these things. And, and just for note to self, I, I remember years of when the kids were small, thinking that if we could get them these toys, then we would be really good parents and I'd feel really good as a dad and that type of thing. Only to find out these little jokers get the toys on, on December 25th and by January 1st, they're broke. <laughs> and they need more toys because they're bored. How many of you found yourself to be the entertainment system for your kids? I'm like, wait a minute, I just bought you all this stuff. You're, you're, yeah, dad, blah, blah, blah. You know why? Because even at that age, there's discontent. Discontentment in our souls. And you just got to take a journey with the Holy Spirit. 
And you have to really start asking yourself, are my affections so earthbound that nothing gives me fulfillment? And where can I get lasting, enduring fulfillment and significance? Because nothing in this life will stay the same. Everything will move. Everything will change. The job that you have right now that secures you can be gone. You got to be careful what you make your savior. And I know you wouldn't call it a savior, but when you look at your job as a source, then that becomes your God. Your job is a resource that God uses to bless you. And when that job shuts down, guess what God will do? He'll open up another door and direct you to that so that those resources continue to flow so that you and I learn. And some of us have financial insecurity right now so that we can learn that God provides, not the job. Paul is writing basically a thank you note to this church saying, thank you for sending this offering to me, which by the way, he's basically saying at the same time, but, but I didn't really need it because whether you sent it or not, I'm going to be okay. Basically what he's saying, you, you can send it and thank you for doing that, but I'm going to be good either way because the circumstances of my life will not dictate my security nor my joy. Because even though I'm in prison, I got joy. And even though I'm in, listen to Paul. Paul is in prison writing to other people saying, rejoice again and I say rejoice. He's writing to people saying, it doesn't matter whether I live or die. It doesn't matter because for me to live is for you and to die is gain. And he's writing these poignant things that we quote, but he's writing them from a dungeon and saying, I'm good. When's the last time you looked at your life and just said, you know what? It's not everything that everybody else has, but thank God it's mine and, and I'm good. We're good, in fact. We don't do it. When's the last time you just said, you know what? Thank you, Lord, for what I have. And not occupy your prayer life with wanting more. And God, because God already knows your heart when you're asking Him. He's like, mm -mm, I can't send you that. I can't answer that prayer. Because if I answered that prayer, you wouldn't come to me anymore. You wouldn't worship me anymore. You wouldn't, you wouldn't acknowledge me anymore. You wouldn't bow to me. You wouldn't worship me, so I can't give you that. It's sort of like you and I as parents. How many of you have looked at your children and you had to take things from them because they didn't know how to steward them? We had to take things or say no to things, not because you were a bad parent. You said no or, watch this, they lost their mind because you said, not now. <laughs> oh, that's only in my house? Good Lord, if you just say, not right now to Alara, she will lose her mind. And, and Zara demands it right now, by the way. She's four months. <laughs> but, but she's learned. She's going to have to learn. But, but, but do you understand that God recognizes what you recognize as parents and what babies figure out shortly? That a pacifier does not satisfy. Do you know that a pacifier is a great tool for a mom at 3 o'clock in the morning? But it, all it does, moms, isn't that right, is it just buys you enough time to get downstairs and get that milk and get it warm enough to give that baby. Because the baby is going to figure it out after like, <laughs> They figure it out real quick. Wait, this ain't, this, this is not satisfying. This is not satisfying the hunger and thirst that I had in me. And God knows that the things that we're asking for are pacifiers, not satisfiers. They're not satisfied, they're pacifiers. So, so watch this. So he takes your spiritual binky out of your mouth, the things that you would think that would satisfy you, he removes them from your life. 
so that you would come to him. And he could say, like he said to the woman in John chapter 4, the woman by the well, and said, this water that I'm going to give to you will be springing up as eternal water inside of you. It'll quench every false thirst that you have. You won't need to, hey girl, you won't need to go on IG and do your thirst traps. Because you won't be thirsty anymore, nor will you be, watch this, here's the worst part about thirst traps. All you do is draw thirsty people to you. So now we got two people unsatisfied together. Oh, let me find something y'all like. Hold on. All the young people are like, no, he didn't. All the older people are like, what's a thirst trap? What is the secret that Paul learned? Verse 12, I have learned the secret. What is the secret? I think the secret was found in, in, the, in the chapter preceding, in chapter 3, when Paul starts listing off, hey, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew, and he starts listing off his credentials and accolades of his life. But look what he results, look, look at the result of it in, in verse 3 of, uh, verse 7 in chapter 3 of Philippians. It says this, I once thought these things were valuable, all his accomplishments, all, his, all of the accolades, everything that he had amassed. But now, I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Verse 8, yes, everything else is when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus is worthless. Say worthless. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For this sake, I have discarded everything and counted all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. I wonder, I wonder if we've jettisoned everything else only to have Christ and place value on him. That's the challenge of my life. I don't want you to answer, just keep looking straight ahead, like this sermon is not even for you. Because I know it's for all of us. But the simple fact of the matter is there's things that I hold on to and retain. And the simple fact of the matter is if God can't get it out of your hand, it has too great of a hold on you. Anything you got to hold on to that you can't leave your hands above, right this, like whatever it is in your life, and you, you recognize, first of all, that it's not yours. Is that a whole nother sermon series that we need to have? Do you recognize that every single thing you have, including the next breath you are about to take, belongs to God and he gave it to you as a gift? Okay, so, so then, then, then if it's his, then it's always like this. My hands are extended before you, God, whatever you want. What, what, wait, what are you saying, God? Ah, you would like to have my gun collection. See? Okay, and your wife is like, yeah, he's got a thousand of them back there, God. You're like, be quiet, woman. Like, God, you'd like to have what? Could you say that again? It's the first time you ever asked God to repeat himself. Okay. Yeah, I want those because those have you, and I would like to have you. Whatever it is, whatever it is. Oh, I'm going to do this thing. We're going to go that place. We're going to achieve this thing. We're going to gather that. Whatever it is. God, whatever you want. I, these lessons are hard for me. They, they've, they've been difficult. You look at me on the stage and you think, oh, man, PK, Pastor Key. Yeah, I didn't climb here. We had to walk with Jesus to a certain degree, and God chose us for this office. But it doesn't mean that I'm not human, and I don't have the same struggles and challenges that all of you have. Say he's human. Point at me. Point at me. Point, 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 all of you. Point. Say he's human. Thank you. No better, no worse. Just called by God to do something different. We lived in L.A. previous to 2017. We lived in L.A. And I don't know whether you realize or not, but L.A. prices for real estate are a lot different than here. 
So it would have took us, the house that we live in right now would have cost us close to a million dollars in L.A. So you know what we lived in? We lived in a 930 square feet, 36 square foot apartment as I pastored the church in L.A. As I was talking about how good God was. And I'm like, I think at the time it was like 49 going on 50. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. 50 years old, I need assets. I need to be accumulating wealth to pass on to the next generation. God, this is your scripture. This is what you said. My life doesn't look like what the scripture says it'll look like right now. And I'm frustrated with you. Look at y'all, all quiet. He's talking to God like that? Yeah, you ought to be real honest with God. You should stop lying in prayer and tell him the truth because he already knows it. So I'm having, a, I'm having a meltdown. I'm literally having a meltdown. I know exactly where I was. I was at Manhattan Beach. I was there at the beach, and I was having a meltdown. I said, this is not right, God. And so he just said, just, just obey me. I'm like, that's what I'm trying to do. It'd be easier to do it with a little more money in a house. See the faulty thinking? Like, like for, here's the funny, here's another lie. That, that poor people tell themselves. It's like, if I had more money, I'd be more generous. No, you won't. You'd be, you'd be just as stingy, rich as you are now. It's the truth. My grandmother had a pot, and, and, and that's about it, and anybody could come to her house and eat. She was always generous, and she had nothing to be generous on. And I learned watching her that generosity is not about how much money you have to give away. It's about the heart you possess for people. She always had room at her table for people. And I found her always giving stuff away. I'm like, Grandma doesn't even have anything. But her heart was there. So I'm in L.A. and I'm having this problem. And, and literally, so I'm preaching in these large churches, and I'm going back to a 500-member church and building, falling apart, and no money. And by the way, while we were serving Jesus, debt was accumulating because we didn't have enough money. By the way, I told you I got a master's degree. That's 35 grand right there, right off the top. Student loan debt. So I'm sitting there with the Lord having this meltdown, and I'm preaching and doing things, and literally this happened. I was preaching at a place, I won't name it. There's a guy that was in the church that the word landed on. And that's where young preachers remember that. You don't get to control the outcome of the sermon, and half the time you won't even know. But God will do things sporadically that you have no clue the Spirit is doing. Just preach the Word and don't look at their faces. Do you understand me? Just preach and don't look at their faces. Their faces aren't always nice. <laughs> preach anyway. I was preaching these messages to him, you know. And um, the Word landed on this guy. And he was very wealthy. I had no clue. And I went back to L.A. and started doing what I was doing. And all of a sudden, <laughs> these checks started arriving at the church. And first they were for the church, and then they were for Coco and I. And let's just say it, within 120 days, we got a year's equivalent of our salary in 120 days. How many of you know that God, wait, wait, before you clap, how many of you know that God knows exactly where you are, he knows exactly what you're doing. He knows how faithful you are. And when people don't recognize it, when systems don't, if ethnically systems don't and structures don't, God does. And he knows how to get his blessings to you. And no man, no structure, no system, racism, nothing can keep it from you if God is for you. Now give the Lord a hand clap. He literally in 120 days, changed the financial trajectory of my generations. And we ended up moving to Oregon and got a nice house too. Come on, y'all. 
And I sat, I sat in that backyard many times with you guys in tears, thinking to myself, God, I should have trusted you all along. Your timing is perfect. I, I just didn't have enough trust and confidence that God was doing it. But he was doing it all along. But you know what he was doing? It was an easy thing for God to do that. What wasn't so easy is getting my heart in the right position. Now give the Lord a hand clap for that. Okay. So Paul said he found the secret. So, so then things did not have any value. Accomplishments had no value. He didn't gain his significance from having a degree or all these other things. It was not that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Not that he was anything circumcised on the eighth day. None of those things mattered to Paul. His one ambition, everything else was worthless. Except for knowing Christ. Just knowing him. The fellowship of his sufferings. I wonder how bad you want to know Jesus. How bad do you want to know him? Intimately know him. Like know him more than just Sunday morning when I'm preaching. Like know him more than just a few songs. Like know him. Paul wanted to know Jesus more than he wanted anything else. Given his life, met him in Acts chapter 9. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 26, he is standing before Agrippa and saying, I have never been disobedient to the heavenly vision. You know what he's saying? I never deviated. Once I met Jesus, I never deviated from what he called, what he willed, what he wanted. And in fact, what he wanted became my chief goal, became my ambition, became my drive, became my dream. I wanted to make his dream come true, not mine. And when you start living your life in that way, incrementally start walking down that path to say, God, it doesn't matter what I want for my dream, for my life, what I had envisioned for myself. And just so you know, this is not what I had envisioned for my life. First thing I forsook was the Marine Corps. All I ever wanted to be was a Marine. You got to understand, you, don't even, you, you can't get it. I, I, all I ever wanted to do was live and die for a great cause. And I thought that it was the Marine Corps, our country, the flag, the whole thing. And Jesus said, there's something above that. So when I say the things that I say, some of y'all are like, why is he saying that about America? I served this country. Served it. Lost friends. People come home with coffins straight away. People come home with coffins draped with flags. So I have strong feelings about the flag and all of that. But you know what? My chief goal and ambition became Jesus' will for my life. And we made home not in Baltimore or the sunshine, which I would like more sunshine. We made home in the will and the call of God for our lives. That's our goal. That's our ambition. If it's money in it, great, because the money hasn't always been good. But here's what I know about money. If you have a price, the devil will pay it, whatever it is. You got an ambition, a dream, whatever it is, he'll give it to you. And once you have it, he'll have you. Please don't have a price. Please set your affections, anchor your heart, fix them on things that are above. God, I want to come to you. I want to live with you. I want my heart anchored in your will. There's so many things that I see. Of course I like night things. Of course I want my family to be well. Of course I want them to, I want to retire and pass something on to my family. I was handed nothing coming into this world. When I was 18 years old, the sum total of the wisdom given to me was this. Get your, get, graduate and don't get anybody pregnant. Off you go. I want to hand my generations more. But if I can't hand them anything substance-wise, then I want them to follow my faith. Follow, follow hard after Jesus the way that I've tried to follow him. 
I'm not perfect at it. They, my kids can tell you. I've never hid that from them. But they see and know that I've been in the same place their whole life. Same place, doing the same thing. Off a little bit, getting back on. Off a little bit, getting back on. But the same pursuit, the same ambition. Why? Because I want to know Christ. I want to live with him. I want to reign with him. I want him to be glorified through my life in some way. I just want that more than I want everything else. And when those desires are competing and the desires for things and more rises above, that's when we get into trouble. Money's not a problem. Money's a problem when it becomes your God. When it becomes the solution to your problems. Jesus is the solution to your problems, not money. Oh, I wish I had a church in here this morning. I wish. All right, let me land this plane. Come on, worship team. So, so there's two practices that I've tried to adopt that, I, that re-anchor my heart the right way. One is being grateful for where I am and what I have right now. If you are not content right now, you will never be content there. If you don't have peace now with what God has given you now, if you're not grateful for what you have, do you realize that it is almost impossible to be discontent and grateful at the same time? The problem is that sometimes we get a little bit entitled. We think we deserve more. How many of you know that you don't deserve more? You don't. You don't deserve more. But because of grace, say, but God. No, no, say it with some conviction. Say, but God. It's my life verse. But God was rich in mercy. When we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive in Christ. You were dead, and Jesus said, I love you. You were dead, and Jesus said, she's significant. You were dead, and God said, but I'll use his life. I'll redeem him. You were dead and addicted, and God said, no worries. I'll clean that addiction up and turn Ted into a preacher and see deliverance and healing come through his life. And pure desire, millions of people will get set free. But you were addicted. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. But God was rich in mercy. You don't deserve anything but God. So wherever you are, thank God for what you have. Develop gratitude. Secondly, are you ready for the second thing? No, it's like three of you, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll just go for another hour. I got the energy for it. One of the ways that I try to break that is generosity. Being generous with what I have now. I give stuff away all the time. You're going to ask my sons and different ones. I just, I just start giving stuff away. Every time I feel like things have a hold on me or something I like too much, I'll just start giving stuff away. Because I don't want anything to have a hold on me except the Holy Spirit, Miles. I want the Holy Spirit to, to just, whatever you want, God, I don't want to hold on to anything but Him. Because really when I'm holding on to it, it's holding on to me. It's got a hold on my heart. It's got anchors in me. And I don't want to be led around by my desires, my evil desires. I need to be submitted to the Lord. Confess that to Him. So can we do that just for a moment of time with every head bowed and every eye closed? Could you just spend a few moments and say, you know what? Amen. Amen. I have need of learning the secret that Paul learned of contentment. Nothing and no one else should have my affections the way that Jesus does. Pale in comparison. In fact, help us as a people, God, in this moment, speak to us. So that we render everything else in this life as worthless, like Paul did. 
Help us. Forgive us for placing anything you can hand us with your hands above our pursuit of your face. We want to see your face. We want to love you. We want to be loved by you. And whether you're 900 square feet or 500 square feet in Okinawa or whatever, I don't even know what the square footage is now we live in. doesn't matter. All of us, we just want you. If there's anybody here this morning, I'm going to every head bow and every eye close, nobody moving around. Same thing online as well. You participate with us. And you just say, you know what? I, I hear what you're saying. And I've made other things, other pursuits, other people my ambition and the goal of my life. My affections are disordered. My ambitions are not prioritized toward kingdom things, which after a while I start realizing that Jesus is not really the Lord of my life. I've made other things my God. This morning you say, I'm still thirsting after having pursued and even attained certain things. I'm still thirsty. Only Jesus satisfies. Only Jesus is worthy of being Lord. And wherever you are in your life right now, Jesus sees you. He wants to save you first from that endless pursuit. Get off that hamster wheel and start pursuing him with reckless abandon for the rest of your life. And if you're here and say, you know what? I need to get my heart re-anchored and make Jesus the Lord of my life. Lift your hand in the air and say, that's me. Just lift your hands. All over the place. Lift them up so I can see it, not half mass, because I can't see everybody. Okay. If you got your hand raised, look up at me right now. Just look up. Lift your head up. Did you mean it? You mean it? All the way in the back? You mean it? Right here? Right there? Right here? Okay. Here's what I want you to do. Come here, right here with me. I want to pray for you. Come on. Give them a big hand clap as they come right now. Come on. I'll wait on you. Come on. Come on, you do better than that. Come on. Now, when, whenever, and same thing online, if that's you, just say, man, I, I need Jesus. Just type, I need Jesus, I want Jesus, something. Let us know, identify yourself so the moderators can jump on and start praying with you and leading you like I'm going to lead us. Now, look at me for a minute. One of the things I always remind people is when they come down here is not to, you know, lower their head in shame. There's no shame. You are not what you have done. You are not your past. You're separated from that. You may feel guilt, but there's no condemnation and shame here. Why? Because you responded. Do you know how much courage it takes to step out of your seat in front of all of these people you don't know? Give them another hand right now. So much courage. I remember the day, I remember the day that I walked, look at me for a minute, Nicole, look at me. I remember the day that I walked down the altar and there was a guy that came down next to me. I didn't know who he was. He knelt down next to me and he wept. And this is one of the things I want you guys to remember at your, at your seats whenever people are here. This is not the time to let your bladder dictate or lunch plans dictate things. This is where lives change. I wouldn't be here without a group of people who were contending for me in this moment. He literally wept on my neck as he prayed over me. It's the strangest feeling I've ever had and most beautiful thing in my life. I remember it every time I stand in an altar like this. 
I remember all of the questions I had, all of the uncertainty, all of the guilt that I felt over who I had become. And I also felt this incredible love from God that He had saw me and still saw worth and value in me and was redeeming my life in that moment. And there was such, I wept because there was such gratitude for somebody like me Jesus would die for. Not me, but yeah, me. So here's what we're going to do. I want every head bow and every eye closed. You here. And I want you to pray and just say, Lord, in the best way that you know how, forgive me for how I've lived. Forgive me for the things that I've done. Forgive me from wandering away from you. Whatever it is, the Lord will meet you in this moment. And your life will be changed. You'll be born again, Scripture says. We got a lot of people, so I need all my altar workers to move into place immediately. I want to pray over you. Stretch forth your hand of faith to them right now. Father, in Jesus' name and those online, protect the seed that's been sown into their lives this morning. Don't let the enemy snatch what you are doing. We stand watch. We stand guard over it. He that has begun a good work will be faithful to complete it in the end, to the end. Thank you for the work that you're doing in lives right now. Thank you for drawing men and women to this house. Not to religion, but to a relationship with Jesus Christ. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Now listen to me. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. They're going to take you out to that hallway. Nothing's going to happen to you. There's no secret passageways or nothing. They just want to get some information from you and put something in your hands so we can help you on your journey, okay? So go that way with them right now. Follow Bob. Come on, give them a big hand right now. Come on. Come on, all the way out. Yeah! We're cheering for you too. Online, same thing. Stand to your feet with me all over the building. Stand to your feet with me. Let's take a moment together, okay? Look at me. Stand up if you can. Look at me. We're going to resist together, corporately. We're going to resist consumerism and materialism this year. We're going to resist it. Teach your children, teach your generations to value and to be appreciative of what they have. Children have to be taught how to value what they have. And the only way they can learn that is if you teach them. Can we spend a moment just standing here just for a moment and letting the Holy Spirit seal this thing in our hearts? Because there's a deep work that the Holy Spirit needs to do to reorder our affections and desires. So Father, in Jesus' name, in these few moments, you can redirect the trajectory of our lives, our ambitions, our hearts more than anything. Lord, forgive us for deriving significance and worth from anything else other than you. You are our identity. You are our joy. You are our life. You are everything. Paul discarded everything else and counted it as garbage. Help us. We struggle in this way. Holy Spirit, we can do this because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So Lord, for us as a people, we set our affections on things that are above, not on things that are beneath. Help us to overthrow the strongholds of evil desires within us. Identify them, Holy Spirit. 
so that we can destroy those strongholds. And teach us to be content and at peace with you and you alone, irregardless of the external circumstances. Our eternal God does indeed reign and is unmoved by anything that moves us. So we derive our security in you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Hey, keep investing in relationships. Keep inviting people to God's house. I love you. Go with God. God's going to go with you.